brain Welcome into his frequency Enter at your own risk Come be at peace with me Ask the call Where we rise and don't fall Welcome back to another episode of Baxter's Buzz. I am your host, Baxter E. Hall. Welcome to my brain. Welcome to my frequency. Enter at your own risk. Now, today I have a special guest with me. Um, he is a DEI strategist. He is also the talent and development director for Ruth Ellis Center. Layton Price, also known as Mike Price. How you doing, sir? Right. Welcome to Baxter's Buzz. Hello, Baxter. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you. I know we've, we've talked about it, and I'm glad that we finally able to, to kind of jump in. And I always tell people selfishly, I have people on that I'm interested in. And so I got real questions. And as I get to learn more about you, I imagine that there'll be a lot of folks um, that'll benefit from the conversation as well. So I'm looking forward to jumping in. Um, so if I understand correctly, you are you are from Detroit, right? Yes, I am. Born and raised in Detroit, went to Detroit Public School Systems and um, really love my city. Okay, that's what's up. Um, we, if, can, if we start at, at, the, at the current, space um but uh you're at ruth ellis center which is doing some some amazing work and we'll we'll get into that but prior to that talk about your journey um through these through these spaces and sort of how you've you know gotten to to where you are today i really like that question it's not often that i get to talk about me um in my journey so thanks for the opportunity baxter um so yeah, DEI in my journey, I think it really began back in like 1993 um, when I was about nine years old. I think I started to really feel my social justice heartbeat like developing um, because at that time, Malice Green, which was a Detroit resident who was killed by Detroit police officers at the time. And um, when I was at that age, I really wanted to be a police officer, specifically in Detroit. And so as I was watching like how that case unfolded and to, to see um, that there were so many people who were advocating for the officers to not be held accountable was very, very frustrating to me um, as a child. It was traumatic to one, learn that a fellow Detroiter was killed by law enforcement. I mean, I, I was young. I didn't even know that those things really occurred much. Um, and so after watching that and, and, and seeing that there was so much pushback um, for the accountability of the officers, I really lost trust. I lost respect um, in so many different ways. And again, it was very traumatizing. So I wanted just to kind of start there um, because again, at, at that time, I just, could only think about the unfairness. Um, and then, you know, once I found out that the officers were finally held accountable, I felt a sense of relief, but it took years for that to even become an announcement. And so I navigated life feeling uneasy. I felt pretty concerned about the black community, about my father. Um, 
And so I, I, I navigated, you know, different spaces and school system, um, really learned a little bit about black history um, and how things have evolved um, since the, you know, civil rights era and a lot of the history that is in Detroit. Um, so those are some of the things that really helped keep me grounded as a child. Um, so fast forward out throughout the years, you know, I, I really experienced a lot of different oppressive experiences as a young person, going to different schools um, and watching my family navigate different systems. And ultimately I wanted to think of ways to kind of really pour back into the youth. I wanted to find ways to support young people who have similar experiences and similar childhoods that I had. And so I you know, really couldn't figure it out. My, my mind was all over the place. It was hard for me to really develop a concrete professional goal. My mind, you know, again, just was trying to recover from a lot of, of things that I experienced as a child. And so things were blurry. And so one day I found myself maybe six years um, as a security guard at a local university. And one day it just really came to me like, hey, perhaps you want to really find a career or start a career where you could truly work on uh, supporting the community. And so I went, spoke to an advisor at a college um, and they said, hey, based on the things that you're telling us, you know, it sounds like you might wanna consider human resources or human services. Um, and so I thought about it and I said, you know, hey, you know, what is the difference? And basically the advisor told me one is more transferable than the other. So if you go into HR, you're less likely to, you know, be able to move into human services. But if you study human services, there is opportunity in the future for you to possibly transfer those human service skills into an HR role. So Baxter, that was back in like 2009. Um, and so needless to say, over the last, you know, uh, decade or so, I've been really taking any opportunity that I could to like, you know, volunteer at social service organizations. Um, I was a board member at a couple different human service organizations or social service organizations. Um, when I had my first internship experience, it was in a community um, that primarily serves Arab Americans. I was selected that community, particularly because I wanted to learn more about just cultural diverse experiences um, outside of my own. Um, and so again, at a very early age throughout my whole journey, I've been really just seeking out opportunities to learn more, to figure out you know, what the community needs um, and what I could do to really help support the community on different levels. And so again, I've spent a lot of different, you know, a lot of time in different roles from frontline all the way to executive level positions and even as board members um, of a couple of different spaces. So I could talk more about that, but yeah. that essentially yeah. is what my whole, you know, background looks like. No, thank thank you for that. So uh, I, there, there's, there's a lot to unpack in that, but <laughs> I, the first question that I have is like, um, sort of your your upbringing. Like you talked about, you know, you being nine years old and that the whole malice green. You know, it, it felt in the black community there could be a sense of, uh, well, here we go again, right? And 
you know, before that, you know, there were the, you know, um, it was the, the LA riots, right? And, um, it, you know, we could talk about the, you know, the riots of, you know, the sixties that were, you know, that started here in, in Detroit, but what did you, why did it resonate with you so much? Is it like, what, what connected with you as a nine-year-old to where it started to really shape the way you, you viewed things? I think I was born with the level of empathy that is above average. Mm. I think intellectually, I just had, you know, high emotional intelligence. Um, and so when I saw these things happening in the media or even in, in classrooms, so I was learning about people who were enslaved in some of my classes and people who were lynched in the KKK, um, Jim Crow era, you know, things that were going on there. And I would leave the classroom upset. Yeah. Extremely mad because I knew it wasn't right. I just, nobody had to convince me. Uh, I, I just could see bloodshed. I could see dogs attacking, in, you know, innocent people. And it just did not make sense to me. And I was not ever going to be accepted. You know, I'm not going to, I was never going to accept it. I just think yeah. that was really um, internal for me. It was just like, nope, unacceptable. And nobody can tell me different. Yeah. Um, I think you talk about the um, the work that you did with the um, Arab Americans. Yeah. Um, again, you know, one would say, you know, you a black man, right? You know, you got your own problems. Uh, and, you know, I think about myself even to this day, you know, just trying to put pieces of a puzzle together between myself, my history, right? The things that we can kind of track down. I feel like that's a full-time job, Mike. I, um, I, and I think it's a, amazing, very admirable that you decided you wanted to sort of um, learn about another culture probably as you were still learning so much about your own, right? Speak, like speak yes. to that. And, and again, why you felt, the, you know, the, the pull to sort of dive into a different culture and help service and, and, and be a resource for the Arab Americans. Well, I really appreciate that question because um, I never asked myself that in the way that you asked me particularly like, okay, if you're learning about your own, how is it that you're choosing to step outside of your own to simultaneously learn more, right? I think because one, I think very systemically, um, I'm always curious about how one thing connects to the next and how that connects to the next. When I was in high school, ironically, I, was in vocational or trade classes. And I took plumbing and pipe fitting. <laughs> uh, I'm not a plumber. However, I kind of am still because <laughs> sure. I'm looking for the leaks. I'm looking to plug the leaks. I'm looking to repair things and sure. it's connected to that. So, I mean, you know, I'm laughing because it's just so ironic. But anyway, I just think very, I just have a unique way of thinking. And I'm always curious about what else don't I know? 
what else has you know a potential for things that we're not thinking about how does this connect to that how could we sure. all rally around each other and be stronger allies i mean i grew up in detroit and there is a high um prevalence of arab american folks there uh and so they were my neighbors they were the business owners sure. um in my neighborhoods and so i felt like hey we're neighbors um I only know negative stereotypes about your community. I don't like how it feels when communities only label certain stereotypes about my community. So let me take a look at the mirror and see what I can do, even within my own set of identities to dismantle oppressive behaviors that even reside in me or my community. No, that, I, I love that, you know, I, um, I can't imagine being you know, that's um, thoughtful, um, especially at, at a young young age. Um, you know, I, I went to Ferndale High and, you know, we, one of the, the, the advantages that we had was that we dealt with so many different folks, right? Um, we had, um, you know, a large uh, white population, black, uh, Chaldean, right? Arab, um, Arabic, we had Mexicans, we had Asians. Um, and so it gave me a really good feel for things. And, and I remember coming from Detroit public schools where it was majority black and coming to Ferndale schools and, going, and being kind of like, you know, whoa, what is, what is this, right? And, um, and it, obviously it reflected much more of the world than, than Detroit public schools did. And it gave me a, a well-roundedness to help help me prepare but again um i think when you look at the human element and stop trying to look for differences and realize that we're more you know we're more alike um i think that you figured that out early and you wanted to say okay i know that there's more to you i know it's more to to your group and and i'm curious and 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 i i, I salute you and i and i and I, I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast, I think that curiosity is like, for whatever reason, it's still a secret ingredient, mm. but it's like, it's like for the successful people, um, curiosity is something that's like, when you look at the back of the packaging and you see, you know, the, the first thing has more of that than anything, right? Then you get, look, curiosity is at the top of these packages for all of these successful people one way or, or another, right? Because um, it, so, much, so many great things and great discoveries, this discoveries start with just a, hmm, I wonder, right? And so I salute you for, for being that um, insightful and, and, and being able to sort of carry it over into your work. So, yeah, so, so, um, not we'll jump jump ahead a bit. You know, you talked about dismantling oppressive systems. Tell me how you landed uh, with the Ruth Ellis Center and, and talk about the work that you all are doing there. Mm. Yeah. So, how I landed there and the work that we're doing. So first, I'll start with the work that we're doing. Um, so the Ruth Ellis Center is based in Highland Park, Michigan, um, which is very, um, you know, nestled very 
uh, Central in, in, Mich in Detroit. Um, and so our demographics that we serve are primarily lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, or questioning young people up to the age of 30 who have low social economic status. And, um, and we offer a lot of different services there, behavioral health um, support. Um, even we have a, a clinic uh, in which we partner with Henry for our health system um, that is designed to support the unique needs of the demographics that we serve. We have housing, we have a drop-in center. We're actually about to open our first uh, apartment complex, which will serve again, young adults who have experienced um, homelessness and housing inst instability. And we're really excited about that. That will open up um, this summer, um, 43 units. Um, and that That's is very awesome. exciting, very exciting. Um, so we do a lot of work there. We do also, we offer uh, workforce development, programming and a host of other um, programs and services. Um, and so I'll say Ruth Ellis, for one, Ruth Ellis Center is named after a historical um, member of the community who at one point um, used to house young adults who identify as LGBTQ. Um, so this was actually a public figure who actually did this work. Um, and so the center has been named after her and um, very proud to be there. I've always admired the work that the Ruth Ellis Center does. Um, prior to being at the Rudella Center, I was working in Ann Arbor at a different nonprofit, um, providing services to folks who also experienced um, homelessness and housing instability. And I really enjoyed my time there. I'm still connected to the folks over there. I started um, a lot of the EDI initiatives within that workplace. And when I wanted to basically go back to my roots, go back to my native town. Um, I had a very, very short list of organizations that I was going to apply to. And I saw in, in, I saw a position at Ruthella Center. Um, I was overqualified for that, for that position, but I was going to take the opportunity to just get my foot in the door right. and see what I could do to offer because I, again, really believe in the mission that Ruthella Center has. And I applied, um, have been promoted a couple of times since then, and that was in 2019. And now I oversee the HR department where I basically drive the equity, diversity and inclusion initiatives organization-wide, and as well as, um, you know, really make sure that the hiring practices and the policies and procedures are really, you know, uh, put in place to advance equity for, underrepresented groups. So I'm really, really excited about the work that I'm doing. Um, so I really appreciate that question. No, that, no, thank you for, for your answer. Um, so what, what I've been hearing is, what I've been hearing as of late is folks call, uh, refer. So we've known as DE&I, um, I've been hearing lately folks sort of leading with the equity, equity yeah. piece, right? Um, talk about what equity sort of means to you and sort of how how you're ensuring that, that these things are played out uh, with 
with the uh, Ruth Ellis Center and then like the, the company and the department that you lead? Yeah, really good question. Um, there's so much I can say about what equity means to me. You know, I know a lot of people have different understandings of what that means. Um, sometimes people even use the word equity and apply it to things that are contextually equality. Um, they are not the same thing in my world. Um, in my opinion, equity is basically a set of actions or things that help meet people where they are in order for them to access opportunities that other folks have opportunities um, as well. And so, you know, I use the example of the food pantry. So I've held many positions over the course of my career where I've either volunteered or managed food pantries. And food pantries, you know, great intentions is to help support communities who are, you know, desiring to build more food to access to food. Um, and so as a way to give more access to food, um, which supports nutrition and health, right? Um, there are many food pantries that have a set standard way that they give the food out. So a lot of food pantries will say you can get two meats, two dairies, five canned goods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. While in theory, that sounds fair. That sounds like you're giving everybody equal access. However, there's some challenges with that because not everyone eats meat. Um, not everyone eats dairy or could use dairy. And so in that space, um, I've always advocated for there to be you know, a set of standards that will allow people to actually self-select their choices. Mm. because using a, an equality approach is leaving people out. That can be oppressive because again, a lot of people don't eat all of the same things. So that's just one example that I use when I try to describe equity and what that means to me and how I, one example of how I've um, helped to advance equity within a position that I've held. No, I, I like that. And it's a, it's a very, very simple, right? Because um, what we consider is fair Right. It's like, well, this is just the way it is. Right. We, we have the, these the set rules and regulations and everyone will get treated the same, but everybody's not the same. Right. And you talk about meeting people where they are. I think it's so important because that's where that empathy comes into play. Right. And and saying, well, what if people are at different places in, in their lives or in their journeys, how do we meet, advocate, and help uh, provide them with whatever resources that they need? And obviously, um, the Ruth Ellis Center has has been doing that, but you know, you've been doing that on your on your journey as as well. Now you know we could talk all day, but we, we're not gonna do this. We, but uh, because we have other things to do but I do I want to I want to um ask you a question let me let me set it up so uh, uh Jerry Seinfeld was on he was on this uh show with with uh Letterman on um on Netflix this was a handful of years ago and he, and he talked about talent being a horse we talked about talent being a horse and 
the way that you handle this horse will determine on how you, you'll be able to sort of handle your success that sort of comes with it, right? Um, and that concept, I, I've, I've been kind of obsessed with the whole concept since, since I heard this interview years ago. Cause I think I kept saying, well, what's my horse? Like I haven't, I hadn't thought about it like that. And, and I think that sometimes, um, you know, your horse can sort of carry you to different places, even if that's not your ultimate destination, but it, it may take you to, you know, to a certain space where then maybe you get on another horse or maybe that, you know, so, um, and then I also try to simplify and I think about like, like in uh, basketball or even in football, it's like, okay, what's your go-to play? What's the thing that you rely on the most, right? What, what, when, when you think about um, yourself, Mike, what's your horse? What's the thing that you feel like, what's your, you know, people call it like your superpower. What's, what's the thing that you hang your hat on that you feel like you do better than you do anything else? Um, it doesn't matter we get, we get caught up sometimes in worrying about what we do better than other people. I'm talking about what you feel like you do better than anything else that, that you do, right? I know it's a lot to, to sort of set up, but um, when, when you think about um, your horse or your, 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 your go-to play, like your bread and butter play, like what do you feel like you rely on more than anything else as far as your skill set, your characteristics? I think I have a unique ability to see what's unseen. One example of that is, remember when I mentioned how sometimes I will be in classrooms learning about black history and the traumatic experiences um, that were in the books and in the videos that I also experience in the classroom. And so I, as an adult, am able to look back and think about, wow, when in terms of equity and in terms of ways that we can even advance equity in the educational system, it's thinking about if you have a class, classroom full of people of diverse ethnic backgrounds and they're all learning about black history. When they transition from one class to the next, who is more likely to have a harder transition into the classroom? Is it our uh, Caucasian and white peers? Is it our Asian peers? Is it our Hispanic peers? Is it our Black and African-American? I'm not saying that I know the answer to that one way or another, but the question itself is something that I don't know if administrators in academic settings think about that we're thinking about pumping out the education and knowledge and i know there's even challenges around that like should we teach them about this history should we not what version of it i think that i think it all should be taught but i think support building in support for people to take in that information and be able to transition successfully into a whole nother classroom environment a whole nother activity what does that look like? So those are the types of questions that come to mind when I navigate this work. I often think about what are we missing? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, dots that need to be connected that that we don't always account for. And you know, you know, I, I, you know, I remember, you know, watching Roots, you know, at school, right? And uh, I'm not old enough to remember like when it first came. You know, I wasn't watching it in school when it first came out, but we, you know, we all watched it. And you know, you 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 felt a way as a as a I felt a way as a as a young you know black person, and and then it's like, all right, we'll watch the rest tomorrow. Enjoy it. You don't even think about the the support that you need psychologically just to sort of move mm-hmm. on, and then be thrust back into that like the next day, you know. Um, you, you talked about food earlier, and I think about um, anything that we are intaking, the people that we're around, the, the 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 books that we're reading, the things that we're watching, the the, the food. All these things have an in, direct impact on us, and we're not always very mindful of those things. And like you said, you know, um, the the young people that are trying to navigate these waters and learning about these things and not even knowing what to, how to properly process what they're learning. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot. That is a lot. And again, you know, who's having these, I mean, I'm not saying these conversations are not being had. However, from my experience, those conversations are not being had and some environments are not properly um, equipped to support the needs that certain groups have. Um, and again, even think about a diverse classroom. There may be some students who are able to just bounce back and go to the next assignment, ace the exam. Like, are people even thinking about, like, all right, are we going to watch this video on a day of an exam? You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just But that like, comes to the, to the, um, pipe fitting piece, right? And, and being able to structure things in a way, you know, when people talk about uh, systems and systemic pieces, you know, there's a lot to that. There's a, you know, mm-hmm. so it, there's these terms that are kind of, they lose their meaning because we hear them so often, but um, these are things that need to be accounted for. And um, yeah, that's a whole nother, conversation because I'm sure you have some ideas um around that and I definitely have questions because I you know you sort of provided me with a perspective that I hadn't thought of so thank you um thank you for that um I I, I want to say say this um I sort of overwhelmed when I when I think about um the work that you're 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 doing the Ruth Ellison and you know and so many others I'm in the process of writing um, this book and I'm sort of writing it to my eight-year-old daughter. Mm. And um, and when I think about the things that I want to leave her with, um, you know, community, you know, um, it's one of the pieces that I I, I talk about is, you know, the importance of of giving back, the importance of of being able to meet people where they are and and don't put any judgment on, on folks, right? Um, and, and I, every once in a while, you wonder if you're saying things right or if you're emphasizing it and 
this this entire conversation has been a great reminder to me to make sure that um, I continue to challenge her and help her see these angles that maybe she's not seeing because I, I think that the more empathy we can have, um, the better off we're going to be just as far as like just human beings, right? And, and it really has to start at that human level and empathy is really where it all, where it all starts. So thank you, uh, Michael, for your time and uh, just giving me so many gems, man. It's, this has been really, really good. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me to have this chat with you. Um, I'm, I'm always open and able to discuss a lot of these topics. Um, so yeah, anytime you're on the chat, feel free to reach out. I love that. Um, and to everyone just watching or, or listening, just know that um, you all are capable. You just need to make sure that you are embracing your own frequency. So on behalf of Michael, uh, I am Baxter E. Hall. And uh, till next time, peace. Welcome into his brain, welcome into his frequency, enter at your own risk, come be at peace with me, Ashton Paul, where we rise and don't fall.